and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 2, Research and Inquiry in Schools with Lauren Rees. Welcome back everyone. Another two weeks has passed, so that means it's time for another episode of Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. Good to be with you. We do have a guest with us today and in this episode we're going to be taking a deep dive into research and inquiry, but specifically how our esteemed school-based teacher educators, like our mentors that work closely with student teachers, senior mentors, and in our model for teacher education we've got the of the research champions. So we've got lots of different people who work with our student teachers to develop their research and inquiry skills. So with that in mind, we've got a school-based teacher educator with us today who I work with very, very closely. She comes from Stanwell School in Penarth in South Wales. Lauren Rees, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So first obvious question is, What different roles have you played as a school-based teacher educator? Tell us about those roles. Um, I've done them all. (laughs) I uh, started off as a mentor, must be about five, six years ago, something like that. So I've been doing that for quite a while. Um, And then September last year, I was uh, made the research champion as well as being the subject mentor. And then about halfway through this year, I was promoted to senior mentor. So I have worn all three hats and have thoroughly enjoyed all of them. And for those who don't really know or aren't familiar with our programmes, in a nutshell, what was your sort of responsibility as a mentor in the first instance? Uh, so as a mentor, my main responsibility was helping the students that came to me to successfully pass their QTS supporting them through that helping them develop as teachers and you know supporting them wherever I needed to professionally personally and your subject specialism and your secondary is modern foreign languages that's right yes wonderful and then obviously as senior mentor you were in charge of a whole load of mentors yes um so great that you've had that insider perspective in order to be able to oversee that whole team. Tell us about the research champion role. What was it your responsibility to do there with our students? Um, so with the research champion role, the students in their first placement, they have to do a, a critically annotated bibliography. So it was my job to uh, set the topic that they needed to do their research on. Um, I helped them narrow down the focus. So we ch- well, I chose vulnerable learners. So then I helped them explain, you know, what that umbrella term covers and then narrow it down to help them. Um, I also helped them word their questions because there's a little bit of difficulty with that sometimes. And then I pointed them in the direction of where they could get some research from, Sometimes they would bring articles to see if it was relevant and helpful to what they wanted to, to, to talk about so I could help them and give them advice with that. And then at the end of it, they did a visually enhanced summary to myself and to some members of SLT. I had a senior assistant head and the head teacher involved um, and they presented to me and them and then I presented it to the school as a wider community so that we could share what they had found and there were some really interesting projects that came out of there. 
Thank you very much, Lauren. So you wear a lot of hats. I think we can get already the sense of how sort of contextually relevant these roles are and how the mentor, the senior mentor, the research champion, they help our student teachers to sort of position theory that they're engaging with in the context of the school that they are assigned to, Stanwell being one of them. But I want to bring it back to you, first of all, because research and inquiry is sort of a relatively new uh, set of approaches for us in Wales, not only within teacher education, but to the profession more largely. So tell us about your journey and tell us about what role, uh, what the role of research and inquiry play in your day-to-day practice as a modern foreign languages teacher. So I suppose I was really introduced to research inquiry when I started my master's. Um, I did the MEP. When did I start that? And that's Masters in Educational Educational Practice. Practice. That's right, yes. So that would have been 2013 when I started my NQT year in Stanwell. Uh, Three-year course. Thoroughly enjoyed the research aspect of it. Um, Really made you reflect on what you read. You know, think about, does that apply to my classroom? Why doesn't it apply to my classroom? How could I amend that? So that's where I was introduced to it. Then I just kind of carried on with it myself outside of that after I'd finished my master's and graduated. There's not, or there wasn't much sort of scope for that at that time, unfortunately. Luckily for me, my school now is really focused on research um, and action research has been made part of our performance management. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so on a yearly basis, um, we get set a topic, like Vulnerable Learners was ours this year, which is why I use the same as a kind of crossover. I thought it'd be interesting to see what the students come up with and what, you know, our staff come up with as well. So I've got to continue that, which is really nice. Becoming a mum, it's it's difficult to find the time that I used to have to do all the reading and the research. So it's not that doing this action research forces me to read the literature and do the research, but it, it, it certainly makes me put time aside to do that. So yeah, I think we're really lucky in my school to have that. Picking up on that idea that perhaps research and inquiry wasn't a thing when you were training, it wasn't a thing when I was training, it was all kind of about the craft of teaching, wasn't it? The craft knowledge. And I suppose it's still a relatively new thing for our students when they come to you. And I suppose they will often look to their mentor as a source of of quick fix craft stuff how do I get them to sit down how do I get them to to listen that kind of thing the name perhaps a little bit off-putting research and inquiry kind of you know makes you think of books and you know reading and stuff that's not necessarily going to save you from year nine on a Friday afternoon how do you sell this to our student teachers who say you know I, I don't want to read I don't want to research I just want to know how to how to teach what what's what's the sell from your point of view As a mentor, I would start out with suggesting educators to follow on Twitter. I thought I'd ease them in that way um, because there are some fantastic, very selfless people on Twitter who write blogs and articles and share amazing resources. So from an MFL base, I would tell them who they could follow, where they could get some ideas to sort of break them in gently so they're not thinking, oh, I have to read a whole book on, you know, responsive teaching or AFL or something like that and then I would gently ease them in if I saw there was an area that they were struggling with I would perhaps suggest a chapter to read in a book and I'd ask them to reflect on that and then we would discuss it in our mentor meetings so yeah I like to 
break them in gently and, and build it up from there. I never ask them to read a whole book, but I certainly prescribe chapters from books to help them do that. And then hopefully, you know, with this this new assignment, they'll they'll really see the benefit of critically analysing what they read, reflecting on it to help them reflect on their own practice because you know, to be the most effective practitioner you can, you have to be able to have that skill. So I think bringing it in through the research develops it there and then they can take it further then into their own practice and their own classrooms. And I suppose bringing it back to your role as senior mentor now, I would bet that you've maybe got some mentors in the team who aren't as open to the idea of student teachers spending time away from their practice and away from the classroom doing some of the research and inquiry activities that you've just described so what would you or what do you say to them to convince them if they're saying well no I want them in the classroom again and again and again I don't want them off reading and researching what would you say to convince them firstly and unfortunately for them it is part of the uh, their students requirement of their timetable so I have been checking the timetables to make sure that's being built in we are myself and 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 you Emma we're going to be running a training session tomorrow so we're just going to you know reiterate the importance of the research and inquiry but as I mentioned earlier I think we're really lucky in Stanwell there are obviously always some people who are a bit reticent to get on board with new ideas but I think in general my mentors they do appreciate the role that research and inquiry plays so I haven't had much pushback which is which has been really nice I have had a few questions about, you know, do they have enough time teaching? But I always say to them, you know, they need this time to reflect. They need to be able to look at areas that they're they're struggling with. And this is your opportunity as a mentor as well to to guide them and to say, you know, look, I think you should go watch so-and-so teach and with the focus of questioning or the focus of AFL reflect on that what have they done could you make that work for you in your classroom so we need to bridge that gap between theory and practice doesn't always work that's why we take with a pinch of salt that is why we critically analyze everything but I think until they're able to do that then their teaching practice itself is never going to be you know at the top of their game they need to have that link so I think yeah the mentors are starting to understand the importance of that and hopefully will continue to do so. It's important to understand, isn't it? It's not just about reading. There is a kind of practical aspect yes. to it. And I suppose if you are struggling with a little bit of your teaching, you don't necessarily want to teach entire lessons over and over just so you can deal with, I don't know, the 10 minutes at the start or the 10 Absolutely. minutes at the end. Yes. So, so, so does it work sorry. then for, for what you might call I don't know, weaker or, or more struggling students is not just for the kind of aspirational ones who want to kind of push ahead and be at the bleeding edge, but it's got something for people who are perhaps really struggling with some some fundamental bit of what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And getting them to reflect on it before coming to their mental meetings, I find really helps because you know, they can think things through and then I get to discuss it with them in our mental meetings, try and do a little bit more coaching, but obviously for the weaker ones who can't quite reflect as well and think like that, then I do, you know, some actual mentoring rather than coaching with them. But yeah, I I definitely think it it really benefits them as well. Bit of a, well, it's not a controversial question, just but, but hopefully you'll find it sort of interesting. This This notion of reading, researching and then 
figuring out what that means for next step in next steps in practice can sometimes create a bit of conflict around what students are seeing in the classroom and sometimes what they're seeing other classroom teachers doing has this ever come up how do you navigate that is this a good thing what do you think? I do think it's a good thing because, again, you can't take what's been written as a given. You know, sometimes the theories, they sound amazing in theory. And then you take them into the classroom and you think, oh, my goodness, what? what? You finished teaching and you said that really didn't work. Um, so I think from that perspective, it, yeah, it's it's a great opportunity for them to develop their reflection and their, their critical skills. I haven't come up against that as yet, but if it were to, then that is something that I would explain to them. Um, because yeah, to be the best practitioner you can be, you have to be able to reflect on the good as well as the bad. I suppose I can uh, come up with a linked question to that because I present quite a few of the Research Bites episodes that sit in the little gaps between our podcast episodes. One of the questions I often ask the students when they've produced that assignment where they have to recommend things for their lead school is, what was it like presenting your recommendations? You know, and they usually say some variation of, oh, I was really scared, they were going to hate it, you know, but but it would generally gets received quite well. What's it like from the other side when you've set a set of students off on, on something that you know is something that, that needs developing in the school and then they come back with a load of recommendations? I mean, are they always recommendations that you like or do they ruffle feathers or, or what, what's it like from your side? That is a good question. Yeah, so it was quite interesting when we were listening to the, the, v, the VESs or the visually enhanced summaries. Because some of them weren't in our school, it was quite interesting to see what recommendations they came up with because it seemed they suited more their placement than than ours. Um, but for those who were in our placement, certainly, I've got to say some of the recommendations were fantastic and they were things that perhaps maybe we hadn't thought about. And even our head teacher afterwards when we had a discussion, you know, thought they were really pertinent points. It can be a bit scary waiting for them because you think, oh gosh, how you know how badly they're going to criticize our school and how we run things but no it was it was a, an eye opener on times but it was it was actually really helpful i'm just thinking back now to a point you made earlier on um, about when when you choose to coach and when you choose to mentor and I, and I, I remember speaking to one of your former mfl student teachers actually who'd been with you for the first placement so you know from when she was quite quite novice to the classroom and there were some approaches that you took that were, you could probably argue, were quite prescriptive and a mentoring approach, but that she, I know because she told me, really benefited from those approaches. I think you asked her to, to do a specific bit of reading and then do some deliberate practice. Tell, tell us about the approaches that you take specifically with novice teachers with research and inquiry. Usually in CP1, it is more of a, a mentoring kind of role because they are so new to everything. They haven't done that much reading, so they don't have that much experience and the ability to, as you would in a coaching conversation, reflect that deeply and have, you know, suggestions, solutions that they can go to. Generally in CP1, I will offer more advice and suggestions and point them in the direction of particular chapters to read or interventions to try, strategies to put in place. When it comes to CP2, Generally, you can start to do a bit more coaching because they've had that experience in CP1. But again, it all depends on the student in front of you. Sometimes I need to do a mixed approach. Sometimes I have to take it back to more mentoring than coaching. So yeah, it does depend on, on the student in front of you. 
One of the nice evolutions I've seen in the last few years is now that schools expect the students to bring things to the table, not just to take, not yes. just to be a mini-me and, you know, steal resources and, and you know, deliver them as, as they've always been delivered. Are all your mentors okay with that? I mean, is the expectation there that the student will will provide new ways of doing things and, and move the department on? Or, or do, you, do you still have a bit of a sell to do there? No, I think we're really lucky in our school. And I've got to say, the mentors are really open to new suggestions, trying new ideas. Yeah, once you've been doing it for a few years, I think sometimes you feel like you kind of run out of fresh ideas and to get students in who have some fantastic things that they've seen or or heard about or read about for them to share it with the department is you know it's incredible and our mentors are generally really accepting of that especially now with the new curriculum coming in it'll be really nice because it's all brand new for everybody so working together like that sharing ideas yeah everyone is happy for that to happen I'm just, um, you've, you've touched on some of these things um, through the course of the interview so far, but I wonder, will you be able to bring anything else to the fore? So we're, we're starting to gain momentum now in our programmes with research and inquiry, and there's sort of mixed practice amongst all of our schools in our partnership, you know, how far along they are with research and inquiry. What challenges or barriers to conducting research and inquiry do you perceive for student teachers and their mentors? And how are you and your colleagues sort of navigating these challenges and seeking to address them and to the benefit of, of our listeners who might be at a different stage? So I think, obviously not all, but practitioners see the benefit of research and inquiry. Um, some are still kind of set in their, in their ways, but I think we're quite lucky in our setting that's a minority. Um, time is also another huge problem you know when you've got a full timetable when am I supposed to sit down and read this or watch that Um, so that's always a big problem I suppose the same for students really they feel a bit overwhelmed sometimes and they think when can I do this Um, but luckily with their timetable with the R&E built in um, I think that gives them a fantastic opportunity to, to spend that time wisely doing whatever it is whether it's been prescribed by uni or by their mentor or something they want to do off their own back I think understanding research and inquiry what that means is also a barrier because it is so brand new I don't think this year especially many mentors really understood what it entailed I'm hoping that's made a bit more sense now speaking to the mentors um, and with the, the the training that they're going to have as well will make things much more clear um, and if they've got any questions then they can ask and we can point them in the right direction. In terms of overcoming those barriers yeah I think it comes down to yeah as a senior mentor speaking to the the mentors just checking those timetables making sure that they've got the time built in giving them some suggestions as to what they could uh, give the students to do in their R&E time. I've been working closely with the the Welsh coordinator in our school and we've set up a programme for them. She's made a fantastic booklet. Um, There's loads in there for them to look at. So our our Welsh review, the report from Estyn, so things for them to really get their teeth into and go on learning walks and start implementing the Welsh language in their own classrooms. And just giving mentors ideas of what they can do in their in their R and E time. 
possibly an awful question coming up, but oh uh, I'm going to do my best. Not to, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my one of my classics, I fear. But but you know, not so much making this particularly about your school, although although you might want to want to give specific examples. I'm just thinking now. We often we tread a bit of a tightrope, don't we, with student teachers and early career teachers. We see them as a source of exciting new things and you know cr- critique of things that are set in their ways but equally they are new and they can't do certain things that 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 are new to them I suppose the safety net's off a little bit to some extent as the new curriculum comes in and it's very tempting to see all of these fresh new members of the profession as as the solution to all our problems but equally they are still working out how to do the basics and of course a lot of them have studied and qualified during a particularly difficult time for education in COVID. I mean what's what's the plan kind of generally I, I don't know if this is even a rhetorical question that we're all going to ruminate on here but what is the plan to look after these people to kind of to bring the best of their critical thinking and their research and inquiry and their their great ideas but also just to look after them while we all go through this really weird time? That is a good question. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? You've really got to look after the your well-being, haven't you, as a teacher? I gotta say, I think our mentors in our school are, are great at that. Uh, you know, we check in a lot with our students. Are they okay? I'm hoping that I'm a very approachable senior mentor. You know, and I would encourage them to come with me, come to me with any problems that they would have, any questions, whether it be professional or personal. So yeah, I know that is a tricky one, and obviously COVID has really thrown a spanner in the works there hasn't it yeah I don't know I mean there's a lot of well-being going around especially with the new curriculum at the moment yeah so I'm hoping that they would feel supported and able to approach their mentor or myself in school if they had any problems whatsoever sounds like you've got a real sort of culture of research and inquiry at Stanwell at the moment which in some ways can be a useful support mechanism um, that doesn't have well-being in the title but actually if if NQTs can see that contractually they're expected to do action research in the same way as someone who is a lot more experienced and has got years under their belt is, is, is expected to then there is that sort of um, that culture of support we're all doing we're all got the same sort of expectations we're all working together and I know that your colleague who is sits on the senior leadership team has talked about the sort of a repository that you've got in school on Google Drive of yes accessible research um, sources yes. is that right is, and is yeah. that helping oh yeah definitely we've got um, it's a, a library a learning library online um, it, we're going to have a, a physical one built wow. which is amazing um, so all staff you know experienced and trainee students will be able to access they can go in borrow books use it as a like a library kind of base for the staff so it's really helpful for them to see that as you say we do what they do we're not asking them to do anything we wouldn't expect of ourselves so yeah hopefully that that does help their well-being as well but yeah the professional learning library is something that we're they're really excited about to be able to to access and use and it's another another bow to my no another string to my bow i always get those <laughs> <laughs> um, <Love a> metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> that i can point them in the direction of to uh, to, to help further their career thinking of that obligation all your colleagues have got to to do research and inquiry it makes me think about you know the challenges of this new curriculum that's coming in and I distinctly remember doing a 
slightly poor job of asking the minister, you know, we're all going to be playing in a much bigger space with a new curriculum. So how do we make sure that we're kind of in the bit of that space where we do good stuff as opposed to that big expanse of it where actually what we produce is not very good? Is this potentially a solution to, to finding that sweet spot in the bigger space, this idea that everybody's going to engage in research and inquiry in school? It could be. Um, I think it has the potential to, yeah. I mean... It definitely needs to inform our classroom practice. And as you say, with these huge changes that are coming in, it's very unknown to everyone still. We're all just putting together our curriculums. Um, so I do think drawing upon research and, and, and reflecting on it will, will definitely help us, hopefully, design the best possible curriculums that we can for, for our students and pupils. It's about sharing it, isn't it? Because I know yeah. one of the problems early on has just been that information just didn't get around the schools in the early stages. So, I mean, is there, is there a plan for how it's going to be shared around? Not at the moment. Um. Your physical library is <laughs> going to be full of goodies, perhaps. It will be, yeah, yeah. hopefully. I am um, just wanted to end, actually, just by thinking about bringing it back to the mentors, actually. And, and it, it, within this vein of research and inquiry, we're actually asking the mentors to do a lot more than they used to have to um, in previous programmes. So, and again, this may be a bit of a controversial question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because it's our podcast. So there. <laughs> Go for it. What do you think the mentors need to be able to do their job well? I'm thinking if you know, if you were to go stand up in front of your head teacher tomorrow and say, look, I want to make a case for giving this to my mentors so that they can do their job better, what would it be? Time. Yeah, 100% time. Our mentors are fantastic. They will give up their PPAs. They will give up their time after school for these students. You know, at certain points of the year, it's really difficult when you've got reporting, marking, you know, things going on. But they will always make time for their student. For them to have, you know, a specific slot in their own timetable that is protected, not just taken from a PPA, an additional one, to be able to give dedicated time, uninterrupted time to that student. I think they would really appreciate that and it would really help them do their job even better than they already do. Age-old thing. Lauren Rees, thank you very much for that deep dive um, into research and inquiry. And thank you for giving us insight from a whole range of different perspectives and roles that you've played um, in the Cardiff Partnership. Now, um, we have asked you to complete some homework for us. You have, yes. So um, up to you, something interesting or something to try? What would you like to tell us first? Well, seeing as we're talking about ITE, how about something interesting then? So I have been reading an article by Professor McWaters um, on the link between the transition from ITE to NQT. I'm working closely with the NQT mentor now in school, who will be uh, me next year whilst I'm on maternity. It's called, I've had to write it down because I won't remember it, Learning to be a Teacher for Wales, the Induction of Teachers into the Profession, really was some food for thought in terms of how do we get them from ITE to NQT? Because it just seems that that jump is huge. Um, so reading that article, I found it so interesting. So myself and, and, and Lucy, we're going to work closely together to try and bridge that gap and make sure that they are prepared for that because sometimes I think it feels and the, the article certainly seems to suggest as well they just kind of you plonk them in their NQT year and say off you go 
And, you know, do they have all the tools? Have we given them everything they need in ITE? So I found that, yeah, an incredibly interesting article. And I would recommend to any senior mentor or mentor to read it um, and see if possible to work more closely with their NQT mentor in school. Wow, don't get us started on that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we have many things we want to say about waving our students off at the end of nine months and having We'd just love to be more involved wouldn't we <laughs> would we not would it not be a solution to all sorts of things mm. that face us at the moment i might be reading that article later <laughs> okay and something that our lovely listeners can try then so questioning quite interestingly we had Esten in this year which was nice that was i'm Smart. sure you uh, yeah can uh, fully appreciate that and so one of our recommendations was on questioning um, which is something I think a lot of teachers think they do anyway, but maybe we're not doing it as well as we think we should be doing. So by chance, I was just strolling through Twitter, as you do, um, and I found this this thread. I can't remember who it was, but it was giving some suggestions about how we should question. And I thought they were they were nice reminders. They may be things that we've forgotten to do whilst we're in the classroom. So cold calling, obviously we all do that. But to ask the question first and then say the name of the pupil, because then if you ask the name first, everyone else just switches off. But if you ask the question first, you're giving everybody time to think. Think time, again, I think still too often teachers ask the question and then expect an immediate response because standing there and counting 10 seconds in your head at least is really quite painful. Um, But I think doing that, giving them that time, you'll get more pupils answering their answers will be better because they've had time to really think about it. Uh, So think time, think per share. And the ones which I found quite interesting came from Doug Lamov. Um, So say it again, better, Um, which is something that I'm going to try myself. Um, So get them to rephrase it or use more um, subject-specific vocab, um, extend it, how can that be improved? And another Lamov strategy, which I liked, pupils, you know, you often have do the thumbs up. Do you understand? Yes or no? Use the traffic lights, red, green or yellow. You know, how often are they just putting up a green so they they match their peers? Or are they actually able to reflect on what they know? So to ask questions, not that are do you understand, but show me how you understand. So to think, really think about how you phrase your questions to get that information from them. Some classics there and weirdly kind of reassuring, I think, for student teachers and NQTs because they kind of sweat over some of those things. But for those of us who've been in the classroom for ages, I think anyone that says they don't backslide on that stuff sometimes and need a bit of refresher is a massive liar. (laughs) (laughs) I think the time one being a really important one, I'll just give a tiny anecdote on that friend because actually standing up in front of PGCE students can be really scary sometimes and that that, those 10 seconds can feel like 10 minutes. Yes, it can. (laughs) But actually I was team teaching with my esteemed colleague Tom Breeze one day and actually he he put it in a way that really got me thinking about that 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 pause that seems very scary because I was reading that pause as oh my gosh they think the question is naff they don't understand the question (laughs) and he said maybe they're showing the respect they're giving the respect to the question to you know giving it the time it deserves to really think about their answer Mm. before they come to um to give it and it got me thinking when you were just speaking there I wondered should we as teachers be saying to our pupils 
I'm just going to take a pause to think about that a moment, model, almost modelling it yeah. as well. That we, because we we almost seem to, as teachers, we 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 feel like we have to have the answers immediately yes. as well. Yeah. We're probably not modelling that particularly well either, no. are we? But there we are. That was my little uh, anecdote there. <laughs> Lauren Reese, it has been a really, really great conversation about research and inquiry from a school-based perspective. Really, really important. And as ever, it's really great to be working so closely with schools who are very committed to teacher education. So we'd like to say a big thank you to you. Um, and I'm sure we'll be uh, knocking on your door again at some point <laughs> down the line, asking you more questions with our microphones in hand. And uh, we'll be back in your ears in two weeks' time. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guest this episode was Lauren Rees from Stanwell School in Penarth. Thanks to Lauren for taking part. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We're on Twitter at Talk Teaching Pod if you'd like to give us a follow. We'll be back in your ears in two weeks' time. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. <laughs>